I am Omer, a football writer and analyst, and hosting alongside me is H, a content creator that focuses on the tactical side of the beautiful game in a wonderful, accurate and accessible manner. Welcome to the And Again podcast. This week, we're here to talk all about the things that happened in the last week of football, particularly with a focus this week on Manchester United's win at Everton. We're going to give a specific mention to Anthony's game, a player who both H and I have been really impressed with recently and then we're going to end on talking a little bit about Arsenal the new Arsenal sort of this mature and, and title um, contending Arsenal that deserve to be in the position that they are in before we begin I would like to say uh, a thank you to everybody who has been listening and rating on Spotify on Apple Podcasts it's on Google um, Podcasts as well now so if that's your choice of platform uh, tune in uh, we hit 16 on the Spotify charts uh, in the UK um, last week, which is incredible. I think we were one below uh, Gary Neville's overlap. So we're here to take over. Let's uh, <laughs> run up the numbers, hit a five-star rating yeah, if you think the show deserves it. And then, um, yeah, hopefully we can keep continuing to bring you uh, more podcasts every week. So as we get into things, H, Manchester United versus Everton, I would say this might be Manchester United's well, it depends on how you see the Arsenal game, their game against Arsenal. But this might be Manchester United's most impressive or most complete performance so far. Yeah, I think. Yeah, when I when I um when I was summing it up, I think I said something like possessional based. It was probably the best game because yeah, I couldn't say control because I think we have been in control in most games, even when we've not had the ball. But yeah, it's a different type of. It's more of a control. You can control the game through space or through possession, Conte and yeah. Simeone versus Pep, for example. Yeah, very much so. And that was like, and I think we've seen the flip the flip side of an Eric Ten Hag team. I think we've seen a team that wanted to get on the ball and wanted to play on the front foot. And it was like, it's a lot. I think a lot of times under Ten Hag this season, the possession has just been, it's been impossible really. Like we've just not been able to outnumber a press. We've not been able to play quickly through the lines. People just don't, players just don't know how to, you know, play that one touch football yet. And I think as soon as the game started yesterday, it was just straight away, there was an emphasis on not letting Everton's players um, step up onto us. I think when I was researching Everton uh, midweek, I was like, a lot of um, Alex Awobi and Anana just like step forwards in, into the into the attacking third to press. You know, it's it's quite a positive pressing system from Frank yeah. Lampard. With their three midfielders in particular, like you can get away with one basically leaving his zone and, and going really aggressive in in the opposition third. And um, yeah, you're right in in what you're saying with United basically suffocated. Uh, Everton and didn't let them sort of get a, get a hold of the game and, and a hold of the ball even despite their midfield options being some of the more impressive midfielders that we've seen throughout this league campaign so far yeah definitely I think that Onana is he's brilliant like I did a video on Alex Iwobi and then he was in it as well and it was just talking about how good they've both been this season and I think even when the game started, I think it was a challenge straight away and he just went in on Casemiro and it was almost like a, you know, he's a 21-year-old midfielder, you know, stamping his authority onto a massive Premier League game and it was quite poetic, you know, in all honesty. It was, yeah. he's he's such a he's such a physical midfielder and he's got so much technical quality and I think, well, I was watching him 
I watched him last season at Lille um, and there was a lot of gaping holes in his game, especially on the ball. Um, I thought his pass selection was pretty poor. I thought he's, he was um, he was quite shy in, in his possession. I thought he was quite uh, not negative, but just not positive. And this season, it's been like the, the game against uh, Liverpool. I remember him doing like a, a pirouette on the ball and like <laughs> using his back heel to pass it off to someone. And then in the yeah. Southampton game that I watched, he was doing like um, like roulettes and Maradonas around people. And it was like, where has his confidence <laughs> come from? And then I was I was terrified going into the game. I honestly thought if we didn't play McTominay alongside Casemiro, I honestly thought we'd uh, we'd get suffocated ourselves and not be able to pr- play out yeah. of press. But um, it proved to be the right decision in the end. So. I think that's a nice example to illustrate the idea of, well, first of all, the confidence a manager can instill in you, um, but also the fact that by playing alongside higher quality players and players that might be able to, um, I don't know, just make up for some deficiencies in your game, you can elevate your individual game to a level that we're seeing with Onana now, I think, with um, Idrissa Gay uh, sort of anchoring that midfield in general throughout the season, yeah. I will be alongside him. There's like a really nice synergy and and a good balance of sort of technical ability but also hard work and and the physicality in that midfield um which is why it was for me extra impressive uh, the way that united did really dominate that first half i think for most parts of of that first half they were <laughs> obviously i'm wanting united to to fail and and well first of all everton might be my second favorite team to watch um so that gives me sort of more incentive <laughs> To want Everton to win, but obviously as a City fan, I want United to lose regardless. Um, yeah. So yeah, watching that first half, I, I was quite... Well, I was really impressed by Manchester United and um, the amount of pressure that they exerted. I think what was most impressive actually was sort of the intensity at which they pressed and won the ball and sort of kept the pressure going. I think with all the top teams that we've seen over the last few years, a core facet of their game is the ability to sustain pressure, uh, which at some point will unlock... Uh, opposition defences Liverpool now are victims yep. of not being able to do that which is why they look incredibly weak relative to their past success you have the aging Henderson um, sort of Fabinho's maybe maybe it's fatigue as well but they, they've they lost the ability to press aggressively win the ball recycle and keep continuing uh, on in that way for 10-15 minutes spells at a time Arsenal are able to do it and we saw maybe the first glimpse of Manchester United really being able to do that um, in a way that Ten Hag would like to see every week. Yeah, it was. I think it was definitely the most complete performance. I think that's probably the way I'd, I'd put it. I think there was so many moments where I just thought in recent weeks we would have just gone a bit longer or um, lost a ball. And don't get me wrong, there were some sloppy moments. I think Casemiro did have one or two like loose balls, especially for the goal, obviously. Yeah, I saw a tweet that said like, Casemiro's dropped a two out of ten and a ten out of ten at the same time, and I don't know how it's possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That it, it was so true though. Like the, he won the ball back for the Ronaldo goal. I played the pass for the Lovely Ronaldo pass as goal. Well, yeah, yeah. I think it was just a such a strange performance. Um, but I think I, I've mentioned this recently, and it's almost like he is doing what we brought him in to do. We can't expect Casemiro to, you know, receive the ball in the half turn and you know spin players and you know, yeah. cut through oppositions with mazy carries and, you know, he's not a Mateus Nunez or even a Frankie De Jong. He's not that type of player. He's a ball winner. 
Um, and I think in in the game against Everton, I think we did see the the sort of midfield rotations of like Ericsson dropping a bit deeper to take that responsibility off him. But yeah. it still needs a lot of work because there are just moments where we could get out if we if we had the right structure or we had the right profile in midfield to drop the shoulder um, and to cut through players and cut through chant like uh, cut through the phases and stuff. But it was just it was really hard, and I think we made. We made it look quite easy at times, but there was one scenario where it was Alex Awobi who was pressing and then there was the two wingers and it eventually made its way over to Delow and then he put it inside to Ericsson and Ericsson was stood in acres of space and then he just plays a really good uh, pass to Bruno and then he lays it off to Ronaldo and it ends up in a pretty decent shot. And it's just like them sort of movements is like exactly what what Ten Hag's about. It's not, it's not possession for possession's sake. It's not kill you with 100 passes, it's kill you with 20 in the first phase and then yeah. let's transition quick, you know? Um, and I think we just, we did see that. Yeah, with Ten Hag, obviously I've done loads of sort of reading and research into his philosophy for that piece I wrote in summer and, and since then I've really followed his career because in his game models and in his philosophy, I think the way he sees the game is if I were to be a coach, I would align my game model and my philosophy is really similarly to Ten Hag yeah. and that was before I had even sort of researched his game but with Ten Hag you see you see a bit of so many different coaches in his style and it's not because he's trying to be like them he's trying to be like himself but he's really varied and really he has so many strings to his bow um, so to say and with yeah. the point that you were making just a moment ago with how he isn't trying to play a thousand passes for the sake of a thousand passes. A lot of the times he wants United to win the ball high and go direct in those counter-pressing and counter-attacking situations similar to Klopp's done in the last few seasons. On other occasions, he's playing sort of in the first phase to bait, um, to bait the opposition onto him before going long as well. And obviously against Everton, we saw him play a more sustained and more calculated approach but there were moments again where they sprung and, and played vertical I mean for the for the goal that Ronaldo scored as well which was a perfect example of that so I think to understand Ten Hag and Manchester United and where they're going now is not as simple as some people do try and make it out to be but I think there are base principles um, and that Ronaldo goal that we did see the 700th club goal for Cristiano Ronaldo um, was one that was very direct and it made perfect use of winning that ball in midfield um, as, as Ten Hag has yeah. emphasised before. Yeah, it was it, co- it came naturally and I, I was really happy it came naturally because the, the 700 goal was being forced far too much. You know, it's just, I was just hoping he'd get the goal just so he could, you know, go about his game usually because he'd just like become a, a lot off the more shoulders. shot. It, yeah, it was a lot more individual based his game for the past couple of for the past couple of games, but it was it's so hard to get into the team. If you're trying to put your uh, place in the team and you're, you're doing things a little bit too much individually, then that's not really how you want to break into the team. But then again, he wants to get his 700th goal, but he, that goal was was brilliant. Um, I think you just yeah, seen finish, the drift fair. into the left. Yeah, the drift into like the left um, the left channel was, was something that I criticised Ronaldo for very heavily last season, just constantly sitting on the left-hand side. Uh, to receive the ball, um, yeah. he, I mean, I know it was kind of Cody who went past, but I, I seen some, sh- I seen some, uh, some burst from Cristiano, some burst, <laughs> young you know? Cristiano, so young Cristiano on that left hand <laughs> side. But 
Nah, the, the weak foot finish is a delightful. You know, he's got one of the best weak foots I've seen in the game. I'm not here, like, there's no yeah. two ways about it. I think his left footed finishes are, are just ridiculous. And I think it was really nice for Casemiro to actually get the assist as well because I'm pretty sure he would have been fuming with himself after the first goal anyway. Yeah. I, I do want to mention on the point of Ronaldo's sort of struggles in front of goal recently and then also bagging that goal. This might be a, a weird bit of the podcast. But I read an excerpt. This is going to sound okay. so nerdy. I read an excerpt. I'm going to read it on this podcast. <laughs> uh, just because it was so okay. interesting to me. Uh, and also, I think it applies to the situation. So I pulled it up here. Okay, I'm going to read it now. It says, perhaps it is such an experience that compels us to become musicians that it can be life-changing. But how does one achieve that level of musicianship and of humanness? Okay, stay with me, okay? Because it sounds like we've gone completely left. But I'm going to land, so let me land, alright? It says, How does one evolve into a riveting presence so worthy of praise? Surrender is the key. And the first thing to surrender is one of your most prized possessions. Your obsessive need to sound good. This is a paradox that most people can prove through their own experience. Musicians who care too much, who want to sound too good and make impression often, often fail to live up to their potential. They freeze ah. with the desire to sound good. But then there are times where we play and it doesn't really matter and you play great. You want to do it again and can't call on it every time. When I ask people in my clinics to contemplate this, 99% of them realise they play better when it didn't matter so much. So think about it, what does it mean? When you don't try as hard to be good, you play better. It is a startling realisation. That is, that is actually perfect. Isn't yeah, it? that landed on me, I'm not going to lie. Because do you know what's funny? <laughs> what was going through my head before that was... Sometimes, well, my brother, my brother always tells me this, and it's like sometimes if you notice a defender doesn't have like a bad game, like if a defender doesn't do anything incredibly like stupid in the game, and the yeah. game just drifts behind, you look back and, and you look back at it, and you're like, we didn't actually, no, we didn't have to, have, didn't have to do anything today. Then that's a good performance, but they're not yeah. trying. Yeah, do you know what I mean? And it's like the game's going past, and you know they're not doing anything wrong, but they're not conceding goals, not conceding chances, so it's a good game, but they don't know it's a good game. Yeah. And with Cristiano, I think the game against Ammonia was literally the perfect example of the opposite of yeah. what that quote is describing. I think with that weight on his shoulders, knowing that it was against a weaker opponent, the fact that he hasn't scored in yeah. a while, the fact that he keeps going and going. And in general, his movement and things like that in that game were, were good and, and he was getting in the areas, uh, albeit against a, a weak opponent, um, but he yeah. was getting in the right zones, but he was trying so hard to the point where he yeah. was losing his natural uh, sort of musicianship like that thing describes. So um, I yeah, think... I think that's that's the thing, isn't it? It's like Martial as well. Martial didn't... Oh, when, he, when he played the 23 minutes against Everton, it was like he got the assist, but it just seemed so easy. Like there wasn't yeah. any like... There wasn't any stress about his entire game. And when I watched Cristiano Ronaldo in that Thursday night game um, away in Cyprus, it was like... I don't know, for me, it was like, this is really sad to see because I would rather you... I'm not going to say I would rather you not try because obviously I want my players to try and fair play for him for trying because I'd rather him try than not. But I think it, it it would look better to me if he if he wasn't trying so hard but had a similar performance. But yeah, the, actual, the fact that he was trying so hard and he just couldn't do it was actually really sad to see. Like, I just think um, that this is, this is probably like near... He's probably near the end, like probably physically and technically. I think. Uh, then we, I think, I seen, think I seen a tweet from Gaspio saying that this Ronaldo is is not different in performance levels to the Ronaldo of last season, but to me, it definitely is. 
Um, I, I would I, say I, have, I think he yeah. has declined um, slightly um, in relation to last year. But I, I would say on that point, his I, I think a lot of it or part of it is mental um, and the fact that he hasn't got the rhythm and he hasn't got yeah. the minutes. I think his level last season, personally, I didn't think it was as high as some people had him out to be. Um, sort of mm. people quote the 18 goals, I think, in the Premier League last season. Um, and obviously that's a great feat. But when you put it in context, I think a lot of the goals came in short spurts and generally yeah. across the entire season, his all-round game combined with the goals um, in terms of when they were and who they were against and the style of goals um, wasn't as impressive as um, people might have made it out to be. I think this season, yeah. um, how bad he's been isn't as bad in terms of his actual quality as, as people are making it out to be either. I think those it's two seasons... The yeah, the output isn't there. Uh, he isn't getting mm. the minutes to play consistently and obviously when you're out of rhythm, that's going to be difficult. He's When he does play, he plays sort of with the B team, so um, it's yeah, going to be difficult for him help, to get yeah, yeah com- combinations and get back into the swing of things and then um, there was the whole saga to begin with with him wanting to leave anyway so I think when you combine all of yeah. these factors he might have slightly dec- declined physically in and of himself but I do think there's a lot of sort of mental and, and, and sort of psychological aspects of the sport that um, yeah, are contributing to definitely. his I mean even just his life yeah even just his life I mean personally obviously he lost a child and yeah I just I just feel like it's the whole the whole scenario that like everything that's happened in the past like two months I think even even him I just I think you'd have to be like not human to experience some level of decline um, yeah and I think if he if he wouldn't have declined at all like say he would have come back and he would have got better I think I would have actually been like scared about his obsession with him you know with his game yeah um, <laughs> but. Yeah, that, I just yeah, I think it was nice to see him get his seven hundred seven hundredth goal, and I did think overall he he was he was just it was a good it was a decent performance. It was a good it was a good goal, yeah. Um, and yeah, just if if he wants to if he's fully committed, which I'm I'm gonna guess he is, unless he wants to force his way out in January, then I'm more than happy with having him around. I just think that he probably should have gone for the club and for him. I think he should have just gone in the summer, but obviously it was kind of impossible. I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah. Just sort of wrapping up on Ronaldo, um, because I want to talk about another Manchester United attacker. Um, with Ronaldo's goal um, against Everton, I will say the fact that it was in transition and it was a counter-attacking situation, there's less yeah. time for him to sort of think about things. Cody's close enough to sort of put that time pressure on him, but also far enough not to actually contest the ball. I think all of that would have helped Ronaldo yeah. get out of his own mind in that sense and it makes sense why that would have yeah. been a goal that he he did score rather than sort of just not giving himself too much time on the ball. Like yeah, against Ammonia, he had so much it a time. Second, yeah, yeah, making a split second like, decision for him to do it because if you give him more than that, then he's going to overthink it. Even if it's just a split second more, like yeah. if you give some, if you give him something that's second nature to him, you know, it's his instinct to do. He's done that for to do that finish. We've decades. seen that finish a, mil- yeah. a million times. Yeah, so yeah, I think yeah, to be fair, I like. I, I did see a post the next day sort of all of the United um, team together there were Blues yeah, in the background nice spelling touch. out 700 as well yeah so I think maybe yeah. uh, it's it possible that there could be a sort of turnaround a little bit for, for Ronaldo in the next few weeks and months Definitely. I, I do think the mental part of the game 
is massively sort of underappreciated and, and not spoken about enough. So yeah, um, yeah, enough about Cristiano. I, I I think the Cristiano Ronaldo fans who follow me, I don't think there is any actually, but I think any of them listening <laughs> to this podcast will be surprised at my gentle nature in yeah. regard to speaking about Ronaldo. Um, but real life is yeah. different to Twitter, my friends. Um, that's a good fact. Yeah, you can only put a certain amount of characters in it, and no one will read a thread on it if you first tweet a bit too. Or... <laughs> they won't let. They won't hear you. They won't. Hear, no one will hear you. Not just. They won't let me fans. land. I know. Um, but no. we'll speak about um, Cristiano Ronaldo's partner in celebration, actually, Anthony, who actually had another phenomenal performance. I think. All overall, um, take the price tag out of it. I think he's perfect profile wise. I think literally everything about his profile is brilliant. Um, I think I've seen, I've seen the same player I've seen at Ajax, um, but I've seen the translation to the Premier League or the transition to the Premier League has gone a lot more smooth than I imagined it ever to go. Yeah, um, I think he's overall like I, just, I tweeted about this um, today, and I've tweeted about this multiple times. Just him, just him holding the width as far on that right hand side as possible gains us so much as a football inside than anything else. And we've always played Manchester United have always played either a narrow winger, an inside forward, um, a ten out wide, um, just just a misprofiling on on the right hand side, and we've never had width. I think over the course of the last few seasons, United have asked for width through their fullbacks, and the fullbacks yeah. that United have had have never been sort of massively technical, massively uh, great crosses or dribblers at pace. Um, yeah. And and the thing with Anthony is he's a little bit different in the way that he does hold width, as in he's not an out and out outlet or a traditional um, footed winger on that side. I think I really really so. My comparison um, was that he reminds me in parts of Bernardo Silva, and I think Bernardo Silva is far more complete and, and a better player, but Bernardo Silva is one of my favourite players. And the thing that both him and Anthony do incredibly well on that right side, obviously Bernardo's played um, right wing for City as well before, is they hold width on that touchline. They basically have chalk on their boots, but they're dribbling in yeah. a way where they're so assured and they're so... Like, they'll never lose the ball, first of all, on that side and they'll carry it in a way that looks really... At the feet, it looks fluid, but then they'll have these jittery movements left and right and it's so unpredictable yeah. to, to read and I think it offsets fullbacks um to the point where teams will want to double up on Anthony. Obviously, as a left footer, yeah. they're going to want to double up um to prevent him moving inside, but the fact that they do that means it opens up more space for Manchester United in midfield um, in behind as well and definitely yeah I just really like his sort of punchy actions the fact that he retains the ball in a phenomenal way and he plays in that face up dribbling style like Bernardo uh, yeah. sometimes does show off on the right wing yeah I, I completely agree I think he's I think the whole what, what Eric Ten Hag has done with like just the profiling of the the left back, the right back, and the three forwards, whoever it be, plus the ten in Bruno has just been remarkable. I think we already had kind of like a synergy on that left hand side, even though Tyrell Malasia was used because of his because of his hunger, his energy uh, on that left hand yeah. side in games where we have to dominate possession. Um, 
Luke Shaw at the moment on form and um, quality-wise is just better. Um, so he, he instantly goes on the left-hand side. Um, Marcus Rashford likes to sit in the inside um, of the left winger. Luke Shaw holds the width far wide left. We've got a number nine down the middle. We've got a fullback who likes to play on the inside again as an inverted fullback, almost as an eight. And that's mm-hmm. where Delo sits. And then we've now finally got a right wing profile who can hold the width on the right hand side. And I think if I was Jaden Sancho, I'd be I'd be looking at Anthony right now and just looking at the minuscule uh, details in his game that are giving yeah. him the edge tactically. And if he if he, for example, was going to start on the right wing or was going to start on the left wing, he has to realise that these these minute details of just staying out wide and you know being in constant communication with that that fullback, whether it be Luke Shaw or Delo, I think he he seri- I think he seriously needs to take notes if he wants to get back in because at the moment the synergy between Delo and Anthony and Shaw and Rashford um, will I think it's I think it's here to stay for the, for the most part. Yeah. I, I will say a couple of things about that. Um, with Anthony, I do think his natural game is a lot more intensity driven and, and he is more intense just generally in the way that he plays. Um, in his press, he knows where to press um, and, and which areas to move into. So sort of moving inside and, and hoping that Dallo um, presses the wide player as Anthony moves more narrow infield as Manchester United press. Uh, I do think in recent games, Dallow hasn't been able to do that every occasion. I think that's why Manchester City got out on that side quite often. Um, But that's not really a fault of Anthony's, I don't think. I think Ten Hag wants Anthony to do that. And um, Anthony's defensive understanding or understanding out of possession is really good in that sense. Uh, obviously, he's had that training under Ten Hag for a while. I think just in general, on the ball, um, they are a little bit different because of Sancho's... Uh, I don't know, it, it almost looks like a lack of intention in, in Sancho's game. He gets the ball yeah. and he's. it feels like he's unsure about what he wants to do. Um, he looks unsure in himself and he, like he's lacking some confidence so he'll play backwards or he won't try and force the pass direct even though that might be the option that's most sensible at the time with Anthony everything looks looks intentional so even if he doesn't look like the type of player to always beat his man he'll be dribbling left and right really in a sharp yeah. punchy and, and, and punctuated manner to the point where defenders will want to bite and want to step in um and obviously he keeps enough distance where they can't and then obviously he'll pass it off at the right moment. So I just think everything sort of on Anthony's side looks calculated and everything on Sancho's side, even though he's a good player and, and he can be a piece that really works for United, he just looks, I think it is in part meant, uh, like a mental aspect of it, but I do think Sancho does look, I don't know, he just looks a bit soft and a bit lost and a bit... Um, yeah. Yeah, like he needs I'd agree something. with the way you put it, the... The lack of the lack of intensity is definitely like the the word I'd use, like the phrase I'd use. But I also think outside the box, we very we very rarely get beyond uh, the last line of defense, especially in wider areas. We never get to the the byline. Um, but the the intent and the out of box, uh, like I don't know what you call it, the out of box like actions from Anthony is just far more fit. Like you you're far more scared of it. 
We've seen yeah. him. We've seen him cross from them areas. We've seen him shoot from them areas. You know if the you shots, know, if the shots are great. Yeah, the shots really switch yeah. the momentum. You know, for for if he plays at home, if he plays at Old Trafford and he hits one of those, even if it doesn't go in, it shifts the the every single time momentum of the game. Every yeah. single time he's gonna do that. Yeah, I think. Yeah, that's the thing, and I think when Anthony comes, when Anthony comes inside on his left foot, you're almost going. He can he can hit this from here, but I've never seen Sancho. You know, have that kind of forceful, aggressive uh, intention when he when he comes on the inside. When he comes on the inside, it's almost like he does it's nothing. It there's nothing that he offers. Yeah, he, yeah, you're not scared of what he's going to do there, unless which unless is so sad because behind. at Dortmund he yeah. showed almost the opposite. Yeah, and them slip like that's what he was the master of. He was master of them slip through balls. You know, them really like tight like squeeze passes like just through the just through two defenders when they're running in behind but right now it's it's almost like Manchester United do not have any anyone to penetrate uh up front like that the only mm-hmm. person who would actually help him with that is maybe Luke Shaw and I, I don't yeah. I don't see how how Luke Shaw is going to completely change Sancho's I do think if Martial has a run of fitness in the side, yeah, with his link play, um, and with Bruno running off off of him, there is potential for Sancho sort of to work in tandem and and with Shaw on that side. I think that as a, a quartet there has potential to work. Um, I, I just I just want to see Sancho. I don't know express himself and play with the freedom that Anthony has, and I think it is easier for Anthony. What it is easier and it is a bit more difficult in, in, in separate ways. I think Anthony coming to a new country with such a big price tag on his head makes it undeniably difficult. But his personality, his style of, of play, the fact that his manager from his old club has specifically picked him out and said, I want you, I think you're worth this much. Um, yeah. And it's just a naturally expressive Brazilian game as a winger. All of these things like have, have the fans on side, the fact that he's scored against Arsenal. Yeah, Arsenal, City and Everton. Yeah, three so big scoring games, ag- to be fair. yeah, exactly. So scoring against all three of those oppositions, like the the fans are instantly on side. So he has the self belief to want to and to try anything that he wants. Um, I think Sancho is the complete opposite. They they are opposites. They're opposites. They're so similar in terms of the the way they the way they come inside. You know, they're inverted wingers, all that kind of stuff. But their intentions when they do that trademark cut inside are completely different. Yeah, um, and, and I don't think it's all yeah, Sancho's fault uh, to be honest. I think he needs a bit of no. I don't know. He needs something. I don't, um, yeah, I think he needs something. But yeah, I think at the moment I just think Anthony's been just a breath, just a breath of fresh air, just a true, a true right winger, um, and he's just helping us so much, especially like structurally. Like we just look ten times better. Like yeah. you can you can go on watch a United game now and just grab a screenshot. And we actually have like a decent shape, like going forward. We have like five players across the front line. It's You're really seeing, nice um, and wide. We're seeing threads about Manchester United. Do you know that's a yeah? That's, that's when crazy you know it's getting serious. That's yeah, when you know it's getting serious. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know what? We were gonna talk about Arsenal and Liverpool. I think we should briefly touch on it, maybe for a couple of minutes, because yeah, uh, we're too busy lads, my friends. So. Um, we'll briefly <laughs> we'll briefly touch on Arsenal and Liverpool and it, it seems like Arsenal are here to stay and we mentioned last week that yeah. we'll talk about Arsenal again we're already talking about them in this week's episode uh, unfortunately Bakayo Saka yes! such poise I just 
I think there's been a step up in maturity from this Arsenal team. Uh, the, yeah. I'm not sure if it's still. I'm not sure if it's still the same. But last year, definitely, they have the youngest team on average in the league, um, mm. average age, and I think they have completely turned it up in terms of maturity and mentality. And I'm not sure where it's come from. And I think they've built this resilience and this backbone now that when teams come against them, big teams especially, and even when big teams score against them. Uh, we've seen it with the Spurs game. We've seen it with the Liverpool game. They just do not fold anymore. Um, and I just think they've got the resilience and the confidence now to be a team that stamps authority on games. And especially at home, they really do not like rolling over. And it's almost like when the ball goes back on that centre circle, it's still 1-0. Like we're just, we're just kicking off and they go straight back yeah. into gear one and they, they take the game and they just put the opposition back again. And I think... I get to do it against a team like Liverpool, even though Liverpool are where they are. I think everyone expected Arsenal to... I think... I don't know. I think I expected Arsenal to win the game. I didn't think they yeah, were going to win convincingly, but I think they, I think I thought they would have won. Um, and then as soon as Darwin Nunez scored... Um, even as a even as a United fan, I could have I could have said to you straight away that Arsenal were getting straight back in front because the performance was I think there was like ten minutes where it was shaky and it was like there was a bit maybe too vertical. It was a lot of up and down. Yeah, I think after what well, Arsenal scored really early on, I think first minute basically. Yeah. But after that, I did think Liverpool had control of the game for most of the first half actually. Um what I do think the case with Arsenal was, and it, it speaks to your point about them being sort of mature and, and having the ability to uh, dictate games, um, was when they, sort of in the second half and when the score was 1-1, one, one, after after Liverpool equalised, Arsenal did have... Mm. When, when the onus is put on Arsenal, they, they thrive in that situation. They want to be on the ball. I think there is a tendency against really good opposition once the game sort of won or in control for them to naturally sit back and defend. And I think we saw that with them scoring so early on. Um, yeah. But they have the ability to switch it back on, which they didn't have last season. So I think they are similar in the way that if they are in a winning game state, they sort of not rest on their laurels, but play a bit more assured or are willing to concede possession. Yeah. But last season when that happened and they did concede, they never looked they like they were able to... Yeah, they wouldn't be yeah. able to sort of stamp their authority back on but the game, which they we can mentioned do now. that We mentioned that last week. I think we said that the timings were really good in terms of like how they'd how the system would just shape up depending on what scenario they were in. I think now we're starting to see it with like whole segments in games, like quarters in games. We're seeing different yeah. different game plans, and you know we're seeing the defensive shape come into come into come into play. Second goal for Arsenal's like just a complete transition goal. Um, I actually mentioned before the game that the first 30 minutes are the most important against Arsenal because they're nightmares to play against in in that first 30 especially at home with the crowd behind them they've got a it's like a cauldron and um, just their intensity their energy um, their ability to once they get the ball in the first minute two minutes five minutes they keep the ball and they keep putting you under pressure and if you can ride that wave for a little bit after that you can put your mark on the game a little bit but Arsenal I mean they scored in the first minute against Liverpool and I think Liverpool I have been the worst starters this season as in the first 30 minutes they yeah. had the worst record they have. Um, 
so that was almost predictable. It was just patterns and, and maths that would have told you yeah. Arsenal early goal and then Liverpool getting back into the game a little bit later on. Teams against Arsenal really have to see the first 15, the first 20 minutes as a separate game. Almost as, you know yeah. how teams close out games and, and they park the bus to close out games or they waste time yeah. in the last 15? Waste time in the first 15. Get it Play over, pragmatic yeah. in the Get first 15. Yeah. And then once yeah. Arsenal can't do anything or, or can't break through you at that point, then try and get a foothold in the game. Yeah. Well, that's what that's what I was... I was actually just going to say, well, that's kind of similar to what Manchester United did. Because yeah, Manchester exactly. United went almost... Almost went on the front foot in the first five to ten minutes. And then when Arsenal got a foot in the game, then they dropped back and then they were confident enough to, you know, win the duels and stuff. I was just... I was just thinking it. I think it's gonna be really interesting because they're gonna they're gonna lose obviously again. But um, I think it'd be really interesting to see who their first loss is to and how they go about it. Because I, in my head, I'm thinking I'm thinking Newcastle. Yeah, I have a few. Um, let me, should we should we throw out some names? So obviously City. I don't know when they play City, but obviously let me pull yeah, up the fixtures let me, quickly. Let me yeah, let me pull up the we'll fixtures. I think fixtures Newcastle with the. With the similar play style as, as against Sitter, I think you know that what? is quite, you know. No, yeah, Newcastle are absolutely there. Um, Chelsea for me, City, Spurs. But before all of that, you know what? A little hot take, a mere hot take. This might age horrendously. And if so, <laughs> just know it was a hot take and I'm doing it for... Um, what am I doing it for? I'm doing it for the enjoyment of the game. But my mate, <laughs> Renny Marich. I'm doing it for the beautiful game. But my mate, Renny Marich, assistant coach of Leeds United. Ooh. Next fixture, what is it on Sunday? Do you reckon? At Ellen you know Road. That's actually, At Ellen Road. Hey, hey, that's... I'm seeing, I'm seeing a little... Leeds are getting points that day. Uh, I actually think that they will, they will lose a game. I don't know when it's going to come because right now they look ridiculous. They're going to lose a game and it's going to be to, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be similar to how Newcastle played against City where it was like, try and foot, I mean, this is impossible. I'm just looking at Arsenal and in my head, I've just got nothing like to, to say against them in terms of like what you can do against them. It's actually, but like, I think mid, like intense mid block, but like your midfielders, especially if you're going with a midfield three, they, they have got to like. Then it's got to be like, Chelsea, 6th of November. Yeah, well, I was looking at this. Yeah, well, I think, I think you've got to choke him. Yeah, I think you know what Potter, Potter might do me a job. Graham might do me a job. Leeds or or um or Chelsea, and if nothing happens at that point, I guess Pep's got to do it himself. If that's if the story nothing, of the season, if they don't get a loss by the sixth of November, <laughs> they, I'll tell you now, at least a draw. At least a draw. I'll take look, a draw, boys. At the moment, it's actually painful. Like every refresh of the timeline, I'm seeing him. I'm seeing someone. Oh, what did I see someone say yesterday? I was like the Rafael Leal link. Someone was saying a nice backup for Martinelli there, and I'm like, come on. It's a loud fan base, but it's a dedicated fan base. Martinelli, by the way, absolute player, physical you know monster. Yeah, he was so good, man. He was actually so good. <laughs> They're actually, they are good. You know, they are actually really good. They're actually so good. <laughs> Leeds, uh, Chelsea, Leeds, Man City. Job. Leeds, Chelsea, Man City. That's it. That's that's all we're saying. Oh, PSV. They got Ruud van Nistelrooy. They got Ruud van Nistelrooy. He's going to do it for that's, us. That's heritage. Something's He's, happening oh, in that game. There's history there. 
Oh, he's gonna he's gonna do something mad. The scriptwriters of the sport. He's gonna, he's gonna remember that Martin Keogh thing. You know what he's gonna do? He's gonna um. <laughs> this podcast is so long and it's so we've run so <laughs> over. Um, <laughs> but you know what? Um, do you remember that Carrick game uh, against Chelsea? And he figured out like. Oh God! Yeah, I do. It was like a game that broke yeah. Tuchel's Chelsea. Yeah. This Ruud van Nistelrooy upcoming classic he's going to invent a solution oh, that no one yeah. thought of he's gonna, and it's going to be he's going to bring back a Cruyff diamond or something and do something crazy <laughs> I want to see something guy. crazy from Van oh Gapo um, against Arsenal right this it, podcast way too long <laughs> <laughs> yeah alright so uh, instead of us sort of imagining possible I don't know it's pushing down the point of fan fiction at this point uh, of, of yeah. United not United sorry uh, of Arsenal losing We'll wrap up the podcast instead. We'll see you next week after Leeds uh, snatch some points from Arsenal at Ellen Road. And um, again, thank you everybody for listening into this week's podcast. Um, it's been Anne again with Omer and H. Uh, and yeah, we'll catch you again next week. Thank you. <laughs>